Hi everyone, this is Alicia Halliday and this is the weekly Autism Science Foundation Science Podcast. A few weeks ago, I spoke about a policy brief on employment with people with autism that we were involved with as a collaboration with Stony Brook University, the Karolinska Institute, and Curtin University in Australia. In it, I mentioned something called the International Classification of Functioning, a new tool developed in collaboration with the World Health Organization to identify functioning levels. And this means challenges or strengths that people across different disorders face, not just autism. But in the case of the topic of employment, this became especially important because even across intellectual capacity, people with autism have differing strengths and abilities and things that they are more or less capable of doing compared to others. So instead of scoring everything across autism symptoms, why not considering using a different scale or classification method of different autism features? Many listeners requested more on this topic, and I'm happy to follow up. But when I say follow up, I mean as a consultant. I wanted to follow up with a real expert, and that expert is Sohail Mahdi, a fellow at Karolinska Institute in Sweden, who, with Sven Bolte, has really led the development of the core sets of the ICF on ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. Among his many achievements, he's been part of the committee comprised of key opinion leaders in the fields of ADHD, ASD, on the ICF committee. He's published eight papers, including four as first author and two as shared first author. He's coordinating two clinical cross-sectional studies using the WHO-ICF framework. He provides clinical assessment of people of all ages with ADHD and ASD, and he's organized two conferences on the ICF, and he's moderated focus groups with individuals and clients and caregivers. In other words, I'm incredibly honored that this expert has agreed to participate in this podcast to help better explain what the ICF is why it's important to use this framework when considering how people with autism can function in society, and what it means for people of all different disabilities. So first, Sohail, Soleil, before we start talking about the ICF, what is it? Hi, my name is Soel Mahdi, and I'm a PhD candidate at Karolinska Institute at Center of Neurodevelopmental Disorders in Stockholm, Sweden. Before I talk about the ICF, I would like to mention the rationale for exploring functioning and disability. When we talk about functioning and disability, we are talking about an important dimension in the assessment of mental health. Because what we do is that we see the impact of behavior problems as a whole. We have the diagnosis with the different symptom criteria but we also get information on concrete description of challenges and barriers in an individual's life, which in turn can provide guidance for individual intervention planning and resource allocation. Talking about functioning also allows us to pay attention to strengths, which could be used to design resource-oriented intervention that seek to reinforce already existing strengths in individuals. By discussing functioning and assessing functioning, we would be able to take into account environmental factors, which could either hinder or facilitate individual functioning. It is worthwhile to think whether the a more functioning-oriented approach towards assessment of individual health could be less stigmatizing than psychopathology and diagnosis. However, despite the advantages of using such approach, there is limited availability of international standardized tools for assessment of functioning and disability. To address this issue, the World Health Organization 
developed the International Classification of Functioning, Disability and Health, ICF, to provide an international standard for describing health-related functioning and disability. The ICF takes into account all aspects of an individual's health, including abilities and strengths. It is based on a biopsychosocial framework with detailed classification of categories related to different components of health. These include body functions, which is basically the physiological functions of the body, including mental functions, body structures, anatomical parts of the body, brain, heart, lungs, etc., activities, the execution of task or action in daily life, participation, the involvement in a life situation, and environmental factors, which comprise the physical, social, and attitudinal environment of those living with a health condition. In addition, you also have another component called personal factors, which are factors that are inherent to the individual but not part of the condition, such as gender, age, socioeconomic background, coping styles, life habits, and etc. Although personal factors are included in the ICF framework, they are yet to be classified in ICF because of its large social variability. In 2007, a child and youth version of the ICF was developed by creating additional categories that were specific to children and youth, and these were added to the ones that were already included in the ICF. So the ICF in its current form consists of 1,685 categories. It's important to mention here that ICF is not bound to any type of diagnosis. It can be used across different types of conditions. It focuses on functioning rather than diagnosis or etiology. That sounds great, but... How would you map a feature of autism onto the ICF? I would imagine something like cognitive ability could go either way as either a challenge or an advantage. Attention to detail is another one where I could see it being either a challenge or a strength. One question I usually get is how can we translate a specific concept to an ICF category? Before I get into this, I will have to explain a little bit the structure of the ICF. So I mentioned before that you have different components in the ICF. But uh, what I did not mention is that within each component, there is a list of chapters that provide a general overview of detailed categories that are included in the ICF. And within each chapter, you will find categories that inform you about specific aspects of functioning, disability, and environmental factors. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have met with a client with the purpose of conducting a functioning assessment. During the meeting with the client, you find out that this client is engaged in many different types of hobbies and leisure activities, which helps him to get out more and establish contacts with other people. In other words, his involvement with leisure activities seem to be an important aspect of this individual's daily life functioning. So how do you go about coding this information to the ICF? So the first step is to identify which ICF component this concept refers to. And with this concept, I mean engagement in 
hobbies or leisure activities. Hobbies and leisure activities seem to be something that is related to activities and participation because it refers to a specific action or involvement in a specific life situation. So the next step is to see, okay, what is the exact chapter that this concept is related to? You go and look through the chapters. There are nine chapters in the activities and participation component. And then you see, well, the last chapter seemed to be a little bit more interesting. Namely, the chapter nine, community, social, and civic life, which is defined as actions and tasks that are required in order to engage in an organized social life outside the family, in a community setting, social, or civic areas of life. However, you want to be a little bit more specific. You go and look through the different categories that are included in chapter 9, and then you find a code called Recreation and Leisure. And you read the description for the code, and you see, wow, this seems to match this specific concept. The description states, Recreation and leisure, what it means is engaging in any form of play, recreational, or leisure activity, such as informal or organized play and sports, programs of physical fitness, or engaging in crafts or hobbies. So here you found your specific ICF code, and you can use this information to provide a clear communication with the client. Now, in your clinical expert opinion, how should the ICF be used? And how does it fit in with diagnostic measures of ASD like the DSM or the ICD codes? Is the ICF meant to replace these diagnostic systems or should it be used independently? The answer is the ICF should be regarded as a complementary tool to DSM and ICD, complementing information on diagnosis, symptom complaints and etiology with descriptions of health-related functioning and disability. A diagnosis alone is not sufficient enough to inform about specific difficulties, limitations, or strengths in daily life functioning and participation. And this makes it more difficult to plan interventions and allocate appropriate resources. However, the joint use of the ICF and DSM or ICD can make diagnosis more accurate by providing detailed information on impact of functioning which is an essential criteria of diagnosis. In the case of autism, this is very beneficial as there is a substantial variation in individual functioning and profile of difficulties, limitation, strengths, and resources. An individual with autism could differ significantly from another individual with autism, which is why we need tools such as the ICF that could prioritize individual needs and demands rather than grouping everyone into one single entity. Another major advantage with the ICF is that it allows users to assess the influences of environmental facilitators and barriers. And this is in line with the UNICEF Convention on the Rights of Individuals with Disabilities, which states that society should take any means of actions to make sure that all individuals can function and participate in all domains of life. Now, I'm really excited to talk about the strengths-based approach you presented at INSAR. What are some of the identified strengths of people with autism? I mentioned before that the ICF can be used to assess strengths, abilities, and resources, which is important to remember if we consider an issue like employment in individuals with autism. 
This past year, I've been fortunate enough to have this international collaboration with Autism Science Foundation, Stony Brook University, and Curtin University, where we explored barriers and facilitators to employment in adults with autism. Before I summarize some of the strengths that we identified in our study, I just wanted to acknowledge that there is a substantial variation in individual strengths among autistic people, which would require me to talk for more than one hour. So for this reason, I will summarize just some of the more recurring themes that we captured in our study. One such theme was hyperfocus, the ability to sustain attention on specific work tasks for a longer period of time. And this was reported to make things easier for employees with autism to engage and complete different assignments more efficiently. Another aspect was sense of loyalty. Some employers that we had in our study mentioned that employees with autism tend to be loyal to their employers and they often remain at a specific workplace, contributing to the betterment of the work environment. Thoroughness was another strength that was mentioned by these different stakeholders, which in addition to employers also included family members, professionals, and of course, adults with autism. So what is the thoroughness that they mentioned? What they meant was that when employees with autism are assigned a specific job task, then they will complete it as thoroughly as possible, resulting in good quality work. Expertise in a specific topic was also mentioned, and one example included IT knowledge. This knowledge about IT helped some companies land major deals with service providers that imported computer, hardware, and software programs. In other words, they were successful in their business. Altogether, this shows us that we need to explore individual health in autism beyond a disability model, taking into account strengths and abilities. By looking at strengths and abilities, we could in the long run reduce stigmatization in society and hopefully make people more aware of what autism is and that individuals have separate needs, demands, interests and resources. And finally, do you think this is mostly descriptive or can it potentially be used to categorize or stratify different types of autism? CF provides a description of different aspects of an individual health, ranging from biological and psychological factors to social participation and environmental influences. In other words, it is not bound to diagnosis or symptoms, which makes it easier to use such framework for assessments of individuals with comorbid conditions, because it's only interested in capturing functioning and disability. I will say one thing about the ICF. It does take time to map on different characteristics of autism into the different codes and different chapters. But when you talk about an issue like employment, housing, or possibly educational plans, it's definitely worth it. From a research perspective, the Employment Project is utilizing the ICF for this very reason. It can identify strengths and challenges in areas of need. I'm excited to see how it catches on, just not in the U.S., but worldwide. Remember, it was started by the World Health Organization. And thank you, Sahel, for taking time to answer these questions, and I hope next time you hear about the mysterious ICF, now you know about how this new tool can be used. Thanks for listening.